Some of you may know that I facilitate a grief group at church called Grieving with Grace. I always tell my participants that the goal of this group is not to learn how to grieve in an elegant, graceful fashion. No. Grieving with grace is about learning how to be gracious and patient with yourself through the ups and downs of grief as you find comfort in the love of a patient and gracious God. When it comes to imagining what heaven is like, I've heard a lot of interesting theories over the years. It's natural for us to speculate or wonder about what heaven is like for our loved ones. Oftentimes, what's being imagined are some of the best moments of our human experience repackaged with some extravagant details. Someone might say, Mom's in heaven now, dancing with Dad, Natalie and Nat King Cole singing unforgettable just for them. The images that people share are often funny, sweet, and lovely. I rarely offer any sort of corrective to what is being said, even if some of it doesn't perfectly line up with what scripture teaches. But there are times that someone will conjure up an image of the afterlife that is hurtful or damaging to those who grieve. And in those cases, I must speak up. In my first call as a pastor, a dear woman in my congregation unexpectedly lost her son when he was just 13. Angie was broken by this loss, fully devastated. A few months after Nathan died, a friend said to her, Nathan came to me in a dream. He said he won't be at peace until you're happy again. Angie called me crying. I was so angry for her. Your friend is wrong, I said. Her subconscious is trying to work out some of its worry for you, but she was wrong to share that dream with you. That is not what eternal life is like for your son, wandering around in people's dreams, worrying about his mom. That's not what Jesus Christ promised us, and that is not what your church teaches. I said a lot more to Angie that day on the phone, but you get the drift. Sometimes you can't let hurtful human speculation stand. In today's gospel reading, Jesus is dealing with some hurtful human speculation regarding the afterlife, and he doesn't let it stand. Here, Jesus is approached by a group of Sadducees with a question about the resurrection. Only this question wasn't really a question. It was a trap designed to make Jesus look foolish. The Sadducees were a sect of Palestinian Jewish leaders. 
Their teachings were popular among the high-ranking priestly families, even though they had fewer adherents than the Pharisees. The Sadducees only recognized the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, as authoritative. They did not recognize the prophetic writings, books of poetry, the Psalms. They did not recognize these other books of the Old Testament as scripture. For this reason, they didn't believe in the resurrection or any sort of afterlife, which was a belief that the Pharisees held and primarily drew from these other scriptures. From the viewpoint of the Sadducees, this world is the world in which we interact with God, and when we die, that's it. Life is over for us. So the Sadducees came to Jesus with a question that was designed to put the idea of the resurrection on trial. They came up with a ridiculous scenario about a woman and her seven husbands. In this scenario, a practice called Leverite marriage took center stage. I don't want to get too bogged down in the details of this practice, but a small bit of explanation might be helpful. In those times of extreme patriarchy. If a woman's husband died and she had no children, she was as good as dead. A woman had no way to support herself on her own. She needed to be part of a family system. So one solution to this problem was for the widow to marry her husband's brother her new husband could produce children for her that would carry on the dead brother's family name and thus ensure a place for her in the community. So now all of you can imagine your mother with Uncle Bob. Wait a minute, don't do that. <laughs> Bleach that scenario out of your head. It's not nice for us to think about, and it wasn't even an ideal situation back then, but you get the drift. That's Leverite marriage in a nutshell. The good old days, as some might say. Well, the Sadducees came to Jesus with a scenario of a woman whose husband died, and then she married her husband's brother, but then he died before they could bear children, and then one right after another, this poor woman goes through marrying seven relatives, brother after brother, falling victim to the same who knows what. In the resurrection, they ask, whose wife will the woman be? for the seven had married her. Now this is some hurtful human speculation regarding the afterlife. The Sadducees are taking the most awful, tragic, messy human experience they can imagine and trying to thrust it into the realm of the resurrection. Try to make something out of this in that resurrection of yours they challenge Jesus. Jesus does not let their hurtful human speculations stand. 
drawing a sharp distinction between what he calls this age and that age. Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, Jesus says. The structures of marriage and vocation belong to this age. Not only that, but this age is also marked by sickness, sin, and death. The kind of sin that treats women as a piece of property to be passed from one man to another, that's not going to be part of the age to come. And that's good news. Those who are brought into the age of the resurrection, Jesus says, neither marry nor are given in marriage, and they cannot die anymore. Their primary identity is now this. They are children of God, children of the resurrection. Whatever messy business we have in this life, Jesus promises it's not going to be part of the life to come. That would be wonderful news for the poor, unfortunate woman described in the Sadducees scenario, not to mention those poor, unfortunate brothers as well. They are now claimed as children of the resurrection. Now think of how this becomes good news for those of us who carry anxiety about our loved ones who have died. I think back to my friend Angie, grieving terribly for her son, Nathan. This word from Jesus is one more assurance that Nathan is not existing in some misty realm as a poor, tortured soul worried about his mother, wondering when she's going to be okay. Nathan was claimed in the waters of baptism as God's own child, and now we can be sure that he too is a child of the resurrection. In that age of eternal life, Nathan exists along with all the saints fully sustained by God. I want you to have this good news today too. Whatever you're suffering right now, whatever worry or stress or grief that is filling you with anxiety and dread, remember this, you too have been redeemed as a child of the resurrection. Through the hearing of this word, the reality of that age breaks into this age, delivering you to a peace that passes human understanding. This scripture does not provide us with perfect clarity on what our relationships with one another will be like in the age to come, and that can be unsettling for us. Here, Jesus is not saying we will have no connection to others in the life to come. He is saying that in that age, we will belong fully to God. Think back to the Sadducees' question, whose wife will she be? Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. She 
belongs to God. In the resurrection, God will be our life. There is no need for connection that we will have that will be unfulfilled. We will be alive to come. We will, excuse me, we will be alive to God. In the age to come, we will have perfect union with him. Every sin forgiven, every messy bit of human business we had on earth will be left behind. We can trust God to provide the connection we need to sustain us. This is not only a future promise, something that benefits us after we die. The age of eternal life breaks into the here and now when we hear Christ's good word and believe it. Jesus Christ has forgiven all our sins and his spirit is here to make us alive through the promise of eternal life. We are children of the resurrection. Let's carry that knowledge with us when life gets messy and comfort one another with this hope. Amen.